In therapy, radically genuine is reached when one is being truly authentic, communicating freely and openly as equals. The Radically Genuine podcast strives to do just that. We will question areas of mental health, culture, societal norms, and what is truly needed to improve the lives of others. Dr. Roger McFillin is a clinical psychologist and board certified in behavioral and cognitive psychology. He is the executive director of the Center for Integrated Behavioral Health in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Trolls are no longer green, ugly monsters that live under a bridge. Instead, they live on social media and make enemies by attempting to provoke, upset, and harm others. This lack of personal responsibility and poor behavior is contributing to divisions in society. On today's podcast, we discuss the psychology of online trolling. Welcome to the Radically Genuine Podcast. I'm Dr. Roger McFillin. You can follow me on Twitter at Dr. McFillin and check out my website at drmcfillin.com. Fellas, the other day I decided to venture into reading my Twitter comments on some of my posts. Mm. Those are some of my favorite people. (laughs) Well, after I picked myself up off the floor, got out of the fetal position (laughs) and wiped my tears, I decided... Wait a minute. You don't have empathy. You don't have feelings. Stop it. (laughs) I decided to do a little uh, investigation and try to understand better about the type of person that would kind of lash out through comments that really put down the other person. It's not just me. It could be other people who make comments on Twitter on some of my posts. So it's, it's certainly a kind of anger and resentment and, and name calling that you otherwise wouldn't experience, I think, in typical day-to-day. And I did end up sending out a, a tweet about the social media world and how it is problematic in developing like emotion regulation and distress tolerance because natural consequences would occur outside of uh, you know the social media universe that we live in. If you would say these things to somebody's face, you would either literally or figuratively get punched in the face, right? <laughs> so in, in some way, you'd have to deal with the social consequences. And so we learn to regulate behavior um, in order to be most effective. And the level of discourse that exists on a platform like Twitter is really problematic. I think it's... Well, it could be any social media um, platform, right? Yeah, I would imagine so. But Twitter's, Twitter's, it's like a town hall. Yeah. It's not like, like Facebook isn't, you know, just, oh, it's a town hall. I'm going to put this out there and everyone sees it. Twitter is everyone sees it. You don't have to be friends unless you block people. That's true. Yeah, so I kind of, decided to kind of do some research on just like the mental health experience of people who are might be Twitter trolls. And here's my challenge on Twitter because I don't want to really block that many people because I do value the openness of communication and even people who disagree with me. I want that stuff engaged on my Twitter platform. Mm -hmm. The problem that exists are that there will be people who hide behind anonymous accounts and they don't even follow me, but it's like whenever I tweet something, they're there kind of lashing out at me. And it's anonymous, so you don't really know who the person is. And that level of anonymity is really problematic because obviously they're free to say whatever they want without consequence. And so I have to find a way, I have to block those people. So anonymous Twitter accounts are weak. You know, it's, it's, just, it's just weak. There's no real courage around it. I say some things that are would be controversial, right? I, I have a purpose to what I'm doing on Twitter to bring attention to issues that I think are really critical. And I will back up everything that I put on Twitter and willing to talk about it more on a podcast or have a professional discussion with somebody internationally. And I'm more willing to do that and we're going to do this in the future. But I, I, I think I want to understand how this leads into other factors and culture and society, especially the the divisiveness of American culture as it exists politically and how clearly I believe we're being divided. We're just coming off of a, a, an election. And so, so topics for today also include, you know, America used to be a we mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's turned into a, a them and us or a them. And there, and there's, there's division and there's division through social media 
and how things are framed. And I know, you know, having Kelly for this podcast, I think is, is really advantageous because of just his interests and his work around communication and rhetoric and maybe what's happened in American society. Twitter's international, so you see this across the Western world. What has happened that our level of discourse has kind of degraded to a point where there's name calling and there's not a whole lot of defending of ideas. And that's like the most important thing from whether you're an academic or you're in a professional field. The advancement of ideas is really critical. And the advancement of ideas comes through uh, through discourse and bringing forth competing evidence or other ideas. We grow that way. Mm-hmm. We evolve. And I've been looking for quite some time to have people disagree with me coming onto this platform. And I did get somebody. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, I can address this you know, as part of our discussion. But this is what I'm open to as far as today's podcast. Um, you said trolling or trolls. Yeah. I, I did find it actual definition of what trolling is and i think it's important that we read it because i think what you're experiencing is one kind of trolling where there's other types of trolls as well so this is um according to scientific literature online trolling is hostile online behavior characterized by violence and deliberate provocation of others trolls attempt to provoke upset and harm others by posting harmful words and posts trolling includes a variety of online behaviors or some trolls just to amuse or entertain and others troll to harm others. What do you think you're falling into there? Are they trying to harm you? Well, well you were in the fetal position, so I'm going to say they were successful. It was, it was tough, right? I, was, um, I had to pick myself up. I knew I had to move along with my day because it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> REM was playing I, in the background. I'm a human, just like anybody else. I not like oh, anybody he went else. From, <laughs> went from being a god to a human this week. That's right. Wow, how quickly we. Uh, it's big shifts. Big shifts in my experience. Just a demigod. Well, I think can we distinguish between <clears throat> a troll? To me, would be just an absolute hater. There's no. There's distinguish between that and then a critic, an actual person that would tweet out wanting to know more, disagreeing with you but in a meaningful way, right? There's yeah. two different versions here. And I think what you're saying is the trolls or the haters, those are the individuals that they do not promote any discourse. They're out to just obliterate you and cancel any message that you have, correct? They demonize the person, not the idea. Yeah. So maybe they'll call me a fraud or they say I have no business at all uh, making comments on like psychiatric illness or psychiatric drugs because I'm not a psychiatrist, which is the strangest thing because I'm a clinical psychologist uh, trained in this entire field and examines research and so forth. So professionally, uh, certainly I have some credibility. Um, there's a, a lot of anger as if like I'm going to walk into their home and take away their psychiatric drugs, you know, like, uh, like I've got that power when I'm just posting really relevant science and being able to promote some of the the real adverse reactions to drugs. Or when I just talk about culture and society, the labeling and uh, seeking out the identification of a mental illness or how mental health is promoted or discussed within the Western world. So anyway, I did come across something as, as well, Sean. Um, this is from a, a behavioral psychologist, Joe Hemmings, in, in an article that we'll post in the in the summary. Research has shown that trolls tend to have an inability to build healthy relationships offline. They're not always the sad, bitter loner that we might expect, and not always men. Female trolls are on the increase, but their relationships will certainly lack balance, and they may feel that they are not respected enough by their families or partner. Often they lose a sense of responsibility and self-awareness, a process known as de-individuation. Ah, yes. Mm -hmm. And their anonymity means that they have no need to regulate their behavior online. It's similar to the way people might behave in a jeering crowd or as a football hooligan. Normal rules of social engagement are lost in the mass. I thought that was brilliant. So that word of de-individuation, that was the second time I saw that word in the last month. I posted... A Halloween uh, social media post for uh, CIBH 
And within there, there was a Halloween study where they watched children they, and were handing the can, out candy. The candy study, yeah. Yeah, and I thought that was fascinating. So um, it was in, I think it was in Seattle. I'm going to say maybe about like 30 or so homes. The researchers had put out a bowl of candy. The doorbell rang, and the researchers uh, basically came off as being busy. So they put the candy down, and they said, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm busy. Go ahead. Um, grab a piece of candy. I've got to get back to work. And they observed how the children acted in that situation. And what they, what they found was that if it was a child uh, alone, most of the time they would take one piece of candy. Whether or not a child was wearing a mask also came into play. With mask, higher likelihood of them selecting or choosing more candy. But then when it was a group, when there was a group of children that came to the door and they were wearing masks, they significantly grabbed more candy than the other groups. And usually if it was one child in the group grabbed multiple pieces of candy, all the other children started grabbing more pieces of candy. Mm. And that's the de-individuation. So yeah, and that, that this stems from actually the, the Stanford Prison ex- Experiment. Mm. And when you, um, you begin to make people feel anonymous or they're within a tribe or a group, their bad sides come out. And it's, they could be perfectly normal. This could happen to any one of our listeners. There's been another study that was done. Um, There are some times where people attempt to commit suicide. They try to jump. And there have been people that have gathered around and watched the scene when the police officers came and everybody. And there are people screaming, you know, jump, just jump. It's crazy how quickly people, when they are anonymous or they feel like they're anonymous, they're in a large group or a tribe, their bad sides emerge. And I think Twitter... Twitter is, you know, ripe for this to happen because of the anonymity. You don't have to post your real picture. You don't have to post your real name. I think that this really does happen, emerges. Yeah, and I think um, it may have been Joe Hemmings who uh, you um, pulled that quote from. She's been outspoken. I think she's a, um, a UK uh, psychologist. And there's some some so uh, there's a TV show. Maybe it's one of those island love shows. I can't remember the name of it. Island love shows? <laughs> Whatever. You know, it's uh, one big, of those reality big, big TV shows. of those island love no, shows, Sean? Uh, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a reality TV show where people go on an island. And I think the participants of that show, for some reason, have been really attacked through social media with the trolling and the horrible comments. And I, I believe there's been some suicides as a result of that. So... You take that physical environment of somebody out on a ledge and you have people yelling at them to jump. Now you take somebody who may be in a fragile state, uh, maybe emotionally, and they have people saying the most horrible things to them repeatedly throughout the day over weeks when they don't even know these people. And it just crushes them to the point where some of them take their lives. There's been multiple situations of this. Do you remember the Jimmy Fallon show? And I don't... I don't know if this is currently going on the Jimmy Fallon show because I haven't really watched in a long time, but they used to have this segment called Mean Tweets where they would have... They, s- they still have it. They still is, have that. Is it Jimmy Kimmel? I think it's Jimmy no, it's Kimmel. That's Kimmel. Oh, Jimmy yeah, Kimmel. Right. That's Kimmel. Okay, yeah. Jimmy Kimmel. So they would have celebrities come on. And so if you're listening to this now, you can probably Google it. So celebrities would come on and read their mean tweets. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny, but it's not funny because people will make comments like uh, about their, uh, their appearance often. Yeah. Like So they're really just like saying that their nose is this or, I mean, it's just like horrible. And you wonder like, what is that person getting from that? You know, psychologically, emotionally, the person who is trying to hurt somebody else, what are they getting from that? And they could be motivated by just attention, some form of status, right? Mm -hmm. Like hurting or upsetting people and getting other people to laugh at them. The reactions. The reactions from others. Allow them like to increase their level of, of self-worth, which is so weak. You know, well, it kind of reminds you of like adolescent bullying. You, you had said and you read in there, I think, and I can't remember the exact quote, but in, individuals, they need to feel like they're a part of a community. They need to feel, aren't, aren't our brains hardwired to be a part of, of something in existence? Like whether it be community or not. If you're not a part of that, your self-esteem obviously lowers, correct? I think that has a large part in why, because if you're getting the reactions, you feel as if you are a part of it. Like it's as if they mean tweet you and then they get likes on their end and they get responses and replies saying, yeah, that's great. That's really funny. That's great. And they just keep doing it. 
sometimes I don't even know if they actually mean what they say. They're just doing it just to get the reaction. It's got to feed misery though, right? We've been certainly looking at some of the data that comes out from excessive social media use because the mental health consequences are quite poor. The more social media use, the worse your own mental well-being is. So people who are on that every day and engaging in such negativity must feel like in, incredibly lonely and depressed. Wouldn't you imagine? Yeah, I would think so. Um, makes me think, uh, I'm I, trying to find the, the article um, and I'll, I'll search for it, I'll include it in the, uh, the show summary. But there, there was an analysis, somebody was looking at all the comments that were coming through and they came to the conclusion that most of those, um, the trolling and the negative comments has nothing to do with the creator of the content. It's basically the individual who's making the comment is looking for what's trending and they'll go into the trending to then make the horrible comments because they know it's going to be seen. So somebody may see a trending tweet or a, uh, a trending video on YouTube and know that everybody's going to be exposed to it and will be watching that particular video or reading that comment. And there's a higher likelihood of their comment then being seen. So what they do is they're trolling the trending content, not the creator of the content. So it has nothing to do with you. It has only to do with the person making the comment. It's just about them solely. What are your thoughts on that? It's sad, um, you know, to to be to have your attention in that way. I mean, I've talked about where your attention goes, your energy flows. So, yeah. like, energy is like everything to me about a person's experience, their cognitive, emotional, behavioral energy is directed towards getting attention in that way. It's so empty. It's so it would be so unfulfilling, mm -hmm. right? And so, I'm interested to know about where you think we are evolving to as as a society i'm concerned about human detachment so kelly you made that point that we've evolved within groups which was necessary for our for our survival you had to rely on each other for for hunting for protection for community support but as we begin to evolve in modern society and especially that i think the the advent and use of, of social media as a way of socially interacting combined with the pandemic, there's much more social isolation. So you, become, you can become detached from each other's experiences. And in our last podcast, we had Dr. Rachel Zofnis on talking about mirror neurons, mm -hmm. right? And we can talk about how like empathy and caring evolves through that connection you can take on the experience of another but when it's behind a screen and they lose their individuality we lose our collective humanity and i have so many concerns just generally speaking about society and, and how that is evolving from the healthcare system when the healthcare system promotes really quick eight minute meetings with a physician that you don't know very well or we use telehealth where you're behind a screen and there's protocols and industry driven kind of uh, steps and decision making processes that don't allow for the personal connection. I think the physician or the therapist or the teacher can lose a connection with that person's humanity and then act in ways that are not in that individual's best self-interest, but rather their own self-interest. I, I, I see it moving in that direction, and I don't see it moving back. I don't know what the solution would be. And, and Well, there's, I mean, you see it in the classroom. It's very difficult to get an entire class. It used to be with Socratics to be able to talk to each other and look at each other. It's like sometimes crickets to get. You put out a question, and you're just looking around. And it's hard for them, and one, one student even admitted it is really hard for me to, you know, want to voice my opinion because I'm worried about the reactions of others. I mean, we're, we're at a critical time for a younger generation where they feel the only way they can really communicate effectively is through things like text messaging, social media, which is completely detached. It's not really communication. 
I wanted to ask you that. Have you noticed a, a decrease in teenagers' ability to articulate and communicate given that medium? If you're learning to communicate in text messaging, at tweets and Snapchat, are we losing our ability to, to master language in a way that can connect and communicate points with like nuance and complexity? Yes. And I'm not sure if this is the proper term. So keep, keep in mind, we always talk about dopamine, you know, and, and how it affects us. And when you get it, you feel really good. I think if you look at it from a perspective of kids sitting around talking to each other in a meaningful way, obviously that can increase one's ability to feel good. At this point in time, I don't see that as often. They don't view that as being a way to feel good. They view that as a way to be scared. They, they don't want to voice their opinions out in public versus, but, but if you actually do like a forum where sometimes I'll use a Schoology as like a learning management system and you put on discussion posts, they have no problem discussing. They have no problem typing so long as they don't have to voice it. That's scary. I, I think about my time, you know, working in the professional environment. I, I like to talk. So I would, I would talk and often go on these long, you know, statements about something. And I'd come back around often, you know, conflicting something I said early on. And it's just part of that thought process to come up with maybe a solution to a problem or to just brainstorm ideas. And it's through that conversation and people speaking openly and willingly and, and just sharing thoughts that somebody says something that influences another person that influences another person ultimately leads to the idea that is the solution to move forward with. If you remove that conversation from the equation and you're living in a, a character world of people just you know doing written word, it's too filtered. And you're, you're losing out on that creativity and that, that almost critical thought process that happens. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to limit so much in terms of just progress. Yeah. So we did just recently have a highly contested midterm political election in this country, the United States. It's still going on, I would say. Well, yeah. Voting. Going I'm sorry. Christmas. Yeah. No, what's going to be interesting is, um, I don't know if you realize, uh, I haven't watched Saturday Night Live in a long time, but Dave Chappelle always hosts right after the midterm election. So I think he's hosting tonight. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to definitely watch that because he always has something interesting to say. Mm -hmm. um, Here are my concerns, and I don't want to be too political, but um, I have my, my beliefs and my ideas. But what I am really disappointed about is the, the discourse of communication between politicians. And I, I really do, unfortunately, I, I blame Donald Trump for bringing this into our national conversation. The name calling. I, I hate it. I can't stand it. Calling other human beings, uh, you know, political leaders, people with power who disagree with you, calling them a name and using that as some way to build a brand. Mm -hmm. And that's not leadership in my opinion. It's juvenile. It's so juvenile, but it's hurtful. And you see a similar process that happens on, on social media happened politically. You'll get people who will support that level of discourse, calling out names, putting people down, demeaning them as a human being as if he is um, non-political, right? He's speaking like us. You know, that was, that was the thing. The, the oddest thing for me was how someone who's born with a silver spoon in his mouth and made money off the backs of working people got working people to support that guy. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of principles around the American First Agenda that I, I agree with, um, but that guy as the spokesperson, right, I think was bad for American politics and American civil discourse. And it's, it's kind of deteriorated, you know, from that point where instead of debating ideas, there's just talking points and putting people down. Yeah. And so it, is, it leads to the dumbing down of the American population that we can't even trust elections anymore because you're going to vote based on an ad you see. Not on any ideas. The ideas have stopped. Mm -hmm. It's a popularity contest in a lot of ways. And this hurts us as a democracy and as a society. 
Yeah. Well, I think Trump has been vocal about the type of people he supports. He wants name recognition. And if you've been on television, that's a bonus in his eyes. Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So he thinks that we're all idiots and we're just going to click on the name of the person that we He's right. recognize. Yeah. There's some truth so to that. I'm, I personally believe when it comes to elections, um, the way that this country was founded was to make things extremely difficult to ever get things done. Right, the way that the politi- the way our government is set up, that the only way you could ever make something a law or to move forward is if everybody is completely on board with it. So the best form of government is the government that can't get anything done. So splitting the ticket and voting for multiple parties, so that you don't have one group in control of the House and the Senate and the president, is the way to go. Because the only way it's going to change is if they learn to work together and to have conversations and debate and come to some type of um, agreement and compromising. But that's that, not happening that doesn't, anymore. Yeah, it doesn't happen anymore. No. Nope. Not only that, they don't even see each other as a fellow human or a fellow American. They demonize the other person. And that's that's purposeful. And so the rhetorical terms that you're talking about, are that's called an ad hominem attack. Yeah. And there's also something called false cause fallacy and then guilt by association. And I mean, I wouldn't say that Trump started it. This has always kind of been ongoing. You just really never saw it in the extreme like you do. But right now what happened is it opened up a floodgate and ad hominem attacks are now the number one way to, to do it and they work. And so when you get trolled on Twitter, somebody could easily just say if they disagree with something that you have, they won't come back with any factual evidence to disprove you. All they have to do is call you a science denier. Right. And once you are labeled, and we labels are dangerous in this country, mm-hmm. and once we label and other people read it, they say, oh, he's a science denier, so I'm not even going to listen to him. Science has now become a, a weapon, Right. Science, I don't even think when people make those comments, they understand what science is. Science is a process. We've talked about this. It is a search for truth. And so when people say a science denier, basically what they're saying is the truth that was sold to me, that I was told I must believe, you're denying it. Therefore, you are less than. I'm going to put you down intellectually. And we saw that there's there's an awakening that has occurred from COVID because I think people are... are, It is. It's happening. Yeah. They're learning like, holy shit here uh there was stuff that was just sold to us that was not true yeah. how did that happen and this is where that elite group of politicians and industry that worked together to sell a message made mistakes mm-hmm. they actually made mistakes by coordinating their efforts when they all started using the same exact words that was a mistake because now you now it sounded like you're selling something to me right like they're reading off the script the script was being read uh, at, at the White House press conferences, the script was being read on commercials. The scripts were being promoted by influencers and Hollywood. The script was being presented to us from Pfizer. It was a press release from Pfizer. They were all using the talking points from that. Yes. And I believe something, the latest thing I saw was um, Rachel Walensky. Is that the CDC? It's the CDC yeah. director. She was getting her news from CNN. And, and basically it was a, a Pfizer press release. She was stating that there's an echo chamber yeah there is correct and that's the thing about with language how so many people now just repeat the same thing over and over again and they almost act as if they're if it's their independent thought and that is what's concerning because when you talk about the herd or safety in the masses when you get on twitter and their comments are just repetition of what was on the news or what was part of that narrative that was presented. You can't even engage with it because that person has now lost their ability to independently and critically evaluate. They have just become a duck who's quacking, repeating the message. Uh-oh, I thought that would come up again. I know, and unfortunately, I think he's, he's accurate in this point, but um, this is, you know, on the business side, after like a failed campaign, there's something called a post-mortem. Like you basically go back and you're like, all right, what went wrong? And you dissect everything so that the next time you move forward with something, you're, you're basically putting some processes in place to correct the mistakes that were made in the past. They're going to go back and look at what happened over the last three years. And the postmortem, and this is already starting to come out, is the comments from the people that were in a position of power. And the reason why they made the decisions that they did was because they were afraid of the press. 
They were fearful of the press. And the press isn't just television media. The press is social media. It's Twitter. It's Facebook. It's the backlash, the angry comments, the people attacking you. So for somebody to be in a position of influence and to speak out against what is considered the standard or the norm in terms of the communication language, they were afraid. They were afraid, and for them it wasn't worth it. And that's the problem that exists right now, is that people are afraid to make decisions. And they're supposed to be in a position where they're applying critical thought and debating and trying to come up with the right solutions to move things forward, and they're just not empowered. We, but we have a critical thought crisis we do. on our hands. We do. I mean, in, in public education, um, you know, the state believes that what the standards it puts out is promoting critical thinking. But critical thinking would mean you'd have to learn rhetoric and communication, and you'd have to understand the types of things like ad hominem when you're listening and arguing with each other. Oh, well, that's an ad hominem attack. So I'm not just going to base my entire decision on you calling him a science denier. I want to look into why he believes what he hates. We stop. Most people will stop at, oh, he's a science denier, so I don't want to listen. That's a critical thought crisis. You have to investigate. You have to go further, and you have to understand when you're being manipulated. Mm -hmm. We just don't teach that enough. I don't know why. I could see it in the political ads. I would watch a a political ad, and I would see the language that was being used. And To me, it was a turnoff. So somebody may actually have some strong policies that I think could benefit the, you know, the state of Pennsylvania or an approach to certain things or just a, a belief about how government should be run. But if you're putting something into an ad, that to me is just boilerplate crap from a national perspective. I, I, I just ignored you. I right. Just, but you're a critical thinker. I'd I, say I would have to guess the vast majority of people watching these things are not. They are blindly listening and they are just saying, well, that person's bad. And they identify with the late, they, they say that they hear the label and that's it. Yeah. They stop there. So my Twitter account is really growing at Dr. McPhillan. Please follow me. On Twitter. <laughs> and what I, was the name we came up for Raj? Was it Dr. Chatterbox? What was yeah, it? Well, Chatterbox was from the an earlier, well, was but it wasn't Dr. Chatterbox. <laughs> I forget what it was. Okay. What was the one you did last week? You sent it out in, in a text after he, he did the God thing. That was a good one. Well, we'll I can't even remember. Card. That was great. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> and our also our the radically genuine podcast grew twenty percent in the past two weeks, and I think what is happening is that if you are willing, we have twelve listeners now instead of the ten. My mom must be talking at the retirement <laughs> community. Don't you know how to sell this podcast? You're in advertising, <laughs> manipulation top, of statistics. <clears throat> top five percent of global downloads. The reason I think and forty forty percent of our audience is international and i think why there's this growth is because it is true radically genuine and being open and that's one of where i think i've kind of taken steps in my in my life is i don't care anymore about the negative reaction okay other than reading my tweets and and wiping off the tears um stepping outside the narrative and being a critical figure and posting things that are really genuine from the heart that I believe in, that are based on experiences with clients, people who are in front of me. Everything that drove my exploration of the literature came from a place of human compassion. When I saw harm, and then there was a community of harm internationally that has been brought to my attention through, through social media. And what happens when people are, have lost their own freedoms by being placed in a psychiatric hospital, the pseudoscience, whatever it may be, that comes from a place of human compassion. So I'm willing for to accept the backlash and to take on the narrative because it comes from a place of caring for fellow people and talking about how we're going to advance society and advance the conversation of mental health. And so when I aggressively post some of the things I do, I believe I'm getting the followers because they appreciate the genuineness. And as a professional, and this is where I want to go next, do professionals have certain responsibilities, right? To be able to post things that they believe to be true and accurate. And do professionals who also have a position of of power in their communities have a, a social responsibility to 
really monitor themselves in how they react to other people. So for example, if you are a medical professional and you somehow believe my ideas are dangerous, okay, because you just do what you're told, sorry. If you believe my ideas are, are dangerous, then your professional responsibility would be to debate the ideas, mm-hmm. right? It wouldn't be to put me down and, and devalue me as an individual so people don't trust what I'm saying. It's debate the ideas. So I've been putting this out there on social media, trying to get somebody who follows the, the traditional psychiatric narrative. And we know what that is. It's DSM diagnosis and it's psychiatric drugs. And of course, everyone who listens to this podcast or follows me on Twitter understands my position on this. So there was a, a psychiatrist out in, he's in the UK, Dr. Benjamin Janaway. You know, he's got one of those nice white check marks next to his name and he has 55,000 Twitter followers. So he's got some degree of following, but he was kind of trolling me a bit, right? He was, he was, tr- was he trolling you or was he trying to put his, trying to have Twitter become a form of debate? Was he, was he giving his point of view or was he attacking you? What's the, there's a difference there, right? Maybe it wasn't either. Is it how you're reading them? Like Twitter's a Rorschach and you just, you project it. Um, no, I think there was mix with Dr. Janaway. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my guess is Dr. Janaway sometimes responds emotionally and says some things that don't have some value. And at other times he's open to some discourse. Um, but no, sometimes he would just put, put me down. It was just an ad hominem attack. Mm-hmm. So, um, I've engaged him over the p- number of months, like, come on, on, let's have a, let's have a discussion. Okay. And he has agreed this past week. So I'm actually saying it, um, oh, live to, on to air right happen. now to make this happen. I mean, if, if you know, Dr. Benjamin Janaway out there, we have a pretty strong following in the UK. Um, let's make this happen because I want to have professional discourse with someone who may, not agree with me or maybe he partially agrees with me and disagrees on other points mm-hmm. and it's important to have that discussion that nuanced discussion the nuances. i was gonna right? use that word yep. and talk about the complexities and the challenges now it would it would be around antidepressants the safety the efficacy of antidepressants i mean we're 40 years into this and um you know the fact that we're having we would have the debate at all you know brings attention that this is very problematic but uh, I, I do appreciate Dr. Benjamin Janaway for you know choosing to come on. I think that takes courage. Most people who are trolls on my Twitter account would never want this debate. They wouldn't want this discussion. Yeah, because it's not about you, right? A true troll, it's about themselves. Yeah. So they don't really care, you know, coming on here and having a conversation with you because it's it's about the humor that they're posting well, or it, just gain, getting some gaining followers. Yeah, right that too. Um, one thing I stumbled upon, I don't know what you know about this, Roger, is the main character syndrome. Mm-mm. So um, it's basically one of those when negative comments go in there, it kind of falls into this category. A main character syndrome and it's social media validation reinforces some people's beliefs that the world revolves around them, that they are the main character. So, I mean, in, in my narrative, I'm the main character in my life. Right. So uh, everything I do, like I'm I'm the one, you know, character that I see every single day because it's me. But a lot of people on th- social media believe that everybody wants to read their comments or the things that they say have more value than anybody else. So they attack people because they want to get that notoriety or that recognition and just bump themselves up a little bit. That's that main character syndrome. <laughs> so just a little bit about developmental psychology. There's a developmental process that occurs where adolescents experience that. Mm-hmm. where they believe that they're pretty much the center of the universe and all eyes are on them. Almost like, you know, they're on a stage and people are watching. And it yeah. feeds that strong social anxiety, self-consciousness. I think we all felt that when we were in high school. You think people are, are, are watching That's you. That's why they, you're walking and you're walking funny because everybody's watching the way that I walk and then you start walking even funnier. Remember when... <laughs> I think it was Riz. Dr. Ahmad yeah. talked about you. He changes walk, yeah. right? Or... If you're wearing something, you would be ridiculed for it. It's almost like all eyes are on you. Mm-hmm. And then as you begin to evolve, mature, grow up, you realize no one gives a shit. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's probably a higher level of maturation, but yeah. I think some people get stunted there. Yeah. I, I remember when I was working, I often had to do some presentations. 
And I would get nervous about those presentations, you know, standing up in front of a group of people and, and speaking and trying to make my points clear. And then I would always realize, well, I've been in this room before and I've had other people standing in the front presenting. And half the time people aren't even paying attention or listening. Yeah. So you're just going up there and you're just, you know, say your piece, say your thoughts, you know, talk about what you've accomplished and what's, you know, going to come next. But nobody's really paying attention, so don't overthink it. <laughs> so that was just the, the truth. And that's, people don't give a shit. Do you know what I'm doing on Friday? Uh, this coming are. Friday. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're doing. Another chili festival. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm actually, a law firm is having a retreat. And they've invited me as a, as a speaker because of struggles that are existing in work-life balance and mental health and challenges in their industry, especially even more so post-pandemic. And you know a lot about the lives of attorneys. I mean, to be able to achieve partner, I would imagine you're working a lot, a lot of hours. Billable hours. Billable hours. And with modern technology, the, the question is, are you ever off? You know, if you can check your email, if a client can call you or text you, are you ever off? And there's some legitimate challenge in the health and well-being of people in the professional world mm -hmm. who are working that many hours. And so it's really interesting uh, for me to come in and have a discussion about what mental health is actually. And it's I found this article because how our social media-driven world is defining mental health is actually evolving in, in a way of low quality. So I, I found this article, uh, a study which analyzes the general public's framing of mental health and uh, critically assesses the implica implications of these findings. Uh, it's called Mental Health as Defined by Twitter, Frames, Emotions, and Stigma. Alina Pavola and uh, Pawaki Burkers, so 2020. And one thing that was interesting from this, this article, this research, the general awareness about mental health relates to the concept or idea of mental illness. While health and well-being framing, although present, is prone to very low quality of information. And if you listen to, to us, or, or me in particular, I try to expand the conversation to talk about mental health well-being to be very much uh, intertwined with our physical health, uh, our activity, our lifestyle habits, and a number of things. The mental health discourse is often used to problemize, to um, promote social issues and externalize personal anxieties, which tend toward trivialization and, and uh, trivialization and possibly treatment delays. So what that means is that people view themselves as, as their mental health being as a consequence of victimization of societal problems in society. So you feel bad when society doesn't do things to you or people treat you in a certain way. So your mental health is implicated if your job demands too much of you or your client's job demand too much of you or society demands too much of you. Something external. So seeking mental health external. Or, you know, what I see is if I post something that someone disagrees with, they might actually say that I am hurting their mental health. So you would have to, if, if you have that power, if your words have that power to destroy another person's mental health, just your ideas, you can see how the masses and the herds become very, it's very challenging to step outside because if you're offended by a comment, that person is hurting your mental health. So it's an externalization. Mm -hmm. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. But names are hurting people now. Worse ideas. I, yeah. Why? What, what's changed? Like That phrase was a part of us when we were growing up, but does it exist now? Well, I don't know. The, the whole conversation, in education, we always have these higher... Who did the hierarchy of needs? You remember that? Maslow. Maslow. And Maslow. I'm just feeling like, like there were levels, correct? And level one was like shelter and food. And then you go all up and then you go up to the higher levels. It's all about esteem and finding yourself. I almost feel like maybe Twitter, the Twitterverse is allowing individuals to 
falsely identify with self-esteem, accomplishment, like the need for improvement and understanding oneself. And I guess maybe the ideas, you know, when you say, well, why ideas? Because if they attach themselves to an idea um, and anybody attacks that idea and they're able to come back and maybe it gives them this kind of false sense of power or empowerment. I, I think I, I agree with that, but I think it's the environment that feeds it. So we had the conversation about social media when people share things. They're often sharing a fabricated image of a moment in their life, which comes across as maybe being um, a little more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like if someone's on vacation, they're, they're including a picture of a beautiful place Nobody else is around. It's pristine. And a lot of people in social media feel like they're missing out on experiences or they're less than. So in order to balance out that, maybe that hierarchy of things, they start attacking people to maybe make themselves feel better. Right. And it's just that environment keeps feeding it. And, and we've already said most of the stuff that's posted through social media is it's fake and it's crap and it's not real life. And, um, and people are, are, are basically realizing that now. Like they're, they're starting to evolve. I think there's a learning that's happening. And eventually it's just going to, I'm interested to see what happens to social media 10 years from now. I don't believe it's going to be what it is right now. Do you ever find yourself when you do read some of these like mean tweets, do you want to respond in a similar way, but you are able to kind of calm yourself and, you know, do you ever, I guess, do you ever actually respond to people? I don't even know if you do. It's strange when I first when I first started this whole Twitter campaign, I felt uh, like an initial urge to like defend myself against them, and any time that I did, it was useless. Yes, it was a complete <laughs> waste of my time. Rules of engagement <laughs> number one: do not no, engage. engage. <laughs> yeah, and so then I I learned I've gone through different periods in this. So at some points, I just schedule my tweets in the morning. I'd never even look at it, yeah. right? So I would do that. But then I would get a lot of, um, you know, I've been looking about how to continue to expand the message. I think a podcast is really good and I want people to hear these ideas. So then you read things like you need to be able to interact with your Twitter followers or you're not a worthy follower. So then, you, you know, you, t you have some balance. You do that. You try to interact. Yeah, when interaction is the conversation you're having with the psychiatrist in the UK, not somebody who's attacking you. That's not interaction. Exactly, right? So you try to seek a, seek a balance, and, but then you can get caught up in conversations. And so if you're going to respond to comments, and let's say you got like 40 comments on a Twitter feed, you know, there might be like 30 of them are respectful and there's an opportunity to gauge, but then you get 10 people who are, you know, just trolling you and calling out names. And so then it's it, you're like, is it worth my time to even really do that? And I've kind of come to the conclusion, I don't know if it's really that. It's, it's, it's worth my time. I, I think I tell people that, turn to the podcast. If you want to hear more nu nuance, you want to hear what I really believe, turn to the podcast, listen. Like, that, this is my opportunity. Uh, 140 characters or whatever that is, is, mm. is not enough to talk about, you know, the nuances of these complex issues. But I want to go back to previous point that what you guys were discuss discussing i think it's a little bit more sinister with what's going on I, I do think it's um there is some purposeful ideology that is involved with the the division of the american society and uh i you know i've certainly listened and been influenced by other podcasts for like former cia agents or operatives and things of that who talk about how uh foreign adversaries have infiltrated the United States, um, both living here and abroad, and, and they are using social media. Through ideas. Uh, yes. And so they're, you know, really the only way that a great society can actually fall is to divide it and let it, you know... Implode. Implode on itself. And so I think there's... When we talk about externalizing your distress, you're blaming others for your pain, I think that is a purposeful political ideology that has infiltrated our higher education for for decades, has filtered down into our public school systems, is a big part of the political ideology of trying to change a society that's built off of certain principles and capitalism. 
and to try to talk about your plight in life, your struggle in life is related to somebody else's power and you are oppressed. And that's not that different than, you know, how there have been uh, political ideological shifts or changes in cultures and governments and societies throughout history. We had a podcast quite some time ago where we talked about Matthias Desmond and we we're uh, talking about really how tyranny occurs. And it's, all, it's always like the push of a group that just desires more and more power. But it does occur through people being able to have a very difficult time being able to test out their own realities. And then their realities are kind of shaped or formed to them by what the prevailing message might be from the power group. And I do think that is happening now where when you even question gender, right? Like if, if a, something as simple as a male being born a male, a female being born a female, that you get society to even question whether that's real. You lose a sense of uh, being able to reality test. And that leads you vulnerable. And how does it lead you vulnerable? Well, then you're open to other strategies that have been utilized in cult groups or government or power groups is that you create an us first them and you create that us first them and then you fuel it and that person is dangerous to you and you create this idea that they are dangerous to you and therefore safety only comes by being part of this team we're higher evolved. We will save the planet. We accept all people. These, this group will take away your personal freedoms, whatever that may be, right? But those messages become so inundated that we begin to see people as either the power group and the oppressor or you're part of me. And then there's symbols that are created. Why do you think countries use flags? Why do you think we do the Pledge of Allegiance? Because the symbol is we're pledging to an idea. We're, we're pledging to our team. And so symbols might be a face mask and a vaccine in a Twitter profile or a Ukraine flag. Say, see, I'm with you. I'm on this team. I'm good. And you, you're, you're bad because you don't think there should be forced vaccine mandates. Or you question whether it's a vaccine at all. Or you have the American flag in your profile. So that means you're a MAGA nationalist. Mm -hmm. You are on that group. But here we're on this. We are good and you are bad. So I get frustrated in this time period, especially around politics, about how people are letting themselves be divided. And social media pushes that. We're letting ourselves be divided against each other. Yeah, it's almost like a, a reactionary bias that exists like because nobody is really looking at things with a critical eye. Uh, speaking of Twitter, I don't know if you guys saw this yesterday. So we, new ownership, it's gone private. Charge $8, get your blue check. Eli Lilly, did you hear what happened? No. Somebody downloaded an Eli Lilly logo from Google, paid the $8, got verified, posted through Twitter, that insulin was now free. Stock price went down over 4%. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, anyway, that's a little sidebar, but that's, that's crazy. So um, this is, the point of that is that people don't critically evaluate something, right? So somebody saw something on Twitter and the entire they, stock market so they reacted. just saw the blue check mark, which is, that's the symbol, Yeah. right? And I just am going to trust it blindly because yes. it has a blue check mark. Well, yeah. Kelly told me I should do that, pay the $8 and get the blue check mark. What's the value of a blue check? Well, that's what I'm asking. That's yeah. what I don't know. So I knew that there was value. What's the, what's the difference between the blue and the white check mark? I don't know. I thought, is the white check mark, can't you just, isn't that just a symbol you can put next to your name? Are you sure? I, I, don't, I, don't, I actually I don't, know. don't know. I thought it was some form of verification. I didn't, I don't know. The fact that we're asking the question shows that yeah. it doesn't mean that it doesn't influence you in any other way. Well, it does though, Sean. I mean, the thing, the reason that there needs to be the, the verification is because people will will hack your identity 
and then promote themselves as you. And people have been hurt that way. We had uh, Dr. Jessica Taylor on. I think that uh, people might have been posting things as if they were her or her wife. Um, and it, the, the larger your profile gets, if someone hacks your identity and starts communicating as you, that affects your professional reputation. And it's something I do have to be careful of as my Twitter followers continue to grow and this podcast continues to, to grow, is that you want to be able to trust that what's coming from a particular Twitter account is that person. Yeah, but Eli Lilly, blue check mark. I think someone took advantage of a transition. They most definitely did. Yeah. So but the point being is Sean could just sit there and uh, create a Dr. McFillin Twitter account and get a blue check mark verification. You could start putting out all kinds of crap, you know. And yeah. yeah. And get, I think that, that might be what he wants it's to possible. do. And I think that's the, the point is like people need to slow down. Yeah. Um, you know, now, the whole stock market thing is it, there's all these weird algorithms. There's there's things that trade based off of Twitter. So they follow brands and sentiment monitoring and then boom, all of a sudden, you know, it triggers some type of like sell. So that's a whole nother, you know, crazy thing that happens. But um, I just think people need to slow down every once in a while. Kelly, do you know what I'm reflecting on today? Hmm. Sean's evolution. I think his exposure to this podcast, our discussions, our topics have really opened up his, his mind. You know, if this was like a year ago, I'd like to, li- I'd like to defend hold on myself. a second, a, a little <laughs> over a, a year ago, I would have probably tried to create a fake Sean McFillin Twitter account and I would put a duck there mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would, it would be at dangerously naive. Your quack of the day. And I would just repeat the messages that the People's Republic of California was repeating and or the democrat party or the medical establishment narrative whatever that is i would have just like repeated that over and over and again and he would have had a huge following because people love that safety right go get your 50th booster um you know what there's really good reasons for us to be locked down in business clothes save each other and wear paper over your face like those things would have been like huge because he would have been so smart because he re- he would just repeat the narrative, right? And so you get elevated. Oh, you're safe. Oh, you trusting the science and you're against misinformation. I don't think, let me defend myself. <laughs> <laughs> when we started this podcast, I had been working here for a month, right? Month and a half, maybe. So throw yourself into a room having conversations about some deep psychology topics when your entire experience has been in the world of marketing and advertising and creativity and working in power sports, like to throw yourself in there and just, you know, put yourself out. This is why I've got such a great following of people that, you know, are like poor Sean, poor Sean, because they understand how hard it is to sit in this room right, and become they say, a victim right, so that's and what be I said. attacked. You're our victim. Does that make you feel good? It does. It really does <laughs> make me feel yeah, good. Yeah, see? Can we go back to Jimmy Kimmel? <laughs> sure. Should we get him on the podcast? I'd love to have him on the podcast. That'd be great. The, the psychologist. I'm not a fan of his. I don't care. He's a quacking. Well, but he was. He did the Man Show <laughs> those years ago, and he was cool back then. Yeah, yeah. but then suddenly he beca- came. He became and, a political hack. Well, he just did what exactly what you said. Sean would have done if he po- he posts only the things that are popular with the in group. That's it. That's You're all. Lame, Jimmy Kimmel. No, you're no, no, lame. No, he's he's just funny. like Sean. He's funny. Uh, let's go back to it. The psychology of having a a celebrity read their own mean tweet. What are your thoughts on that? Does it serve purpose for them? Well, it makes the tweet look ridiculously obnoxious and stupid. And they were actors, so some of them would act it out, which yeah. made it funny. Yeah. You know, I wish we could bring up a couple here. Well, I think anybody could watch them. There's, okay. there's millions. Yeah. And everybody's they're they're really funny. Familiar yeah. with it. But they're sitting there in their reaction. You know, Tom Brady was on one time, and I mean, they were just obliterating him. Do you and remember? He just read it, and he's just like, that's just really mean. You know, his reactions, that's mean. But the tweet itself, it, it's just dumb it's stupid there's nothing to it even though it is a personal attack so does it devalue it devalues the tweet yeah yeah do you remember clay matthews the linebacker for the green bay the nose was that the nose no so he was reading one of his tweets clay matthews is outside is out of today's game because of a broken thumb cut that fucking thing off (laughs) you (laughs) you blankly blank and get in there (laughs) and he just like looks up he goes He's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but you don't think it serves any mental benefit for the celebrity to like as like a form of like exposure therapy so that in the future if they ever like encounter it they just they see it as humorous and not a personal attack uh well it depends on i would say how uh, a person's relationship to it yeah so um you know you were mentioning some of the things we should be concerned about if someone's really struggling or even a celebrity who's really struggling right is getting attacked by the greater public and that really affects them and that hurts them and it frames their reality well then there might be some benefit in working through that to kind of defuse from the literal meaning of it yeah um but if you have a thick skin and the person doesn't know you Mm -hmm. right and that's the thing like if you're hurt by people who don't know you that's a problem with you right right because you're you care too much about uh, approval of some person who's never met you and so there has to be a bit of a, a thick skin that's developed especially if you're going to do anything in the in the public sphere right if you're going to promote yourself your ideas or you're going to decide to step outside the masses in some way you have to be willing to accept what is going to come back you know, at you open yourself up to criticism you have to be willing to accept criticism and the uh the reality tv show whatever that love island or whatever that show is god you keep going back to I these island just, reality it's, shows it's season five i can't wait and we know what you do on saturday nights <laughs> the 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 participants in that show expected some type of of bullying and attacking but they had no idea how much of it there was going to be so it was just so profound and so consistent and almost non-stop let's say someone who's in high school or in college is a victim of cyberbullying and they came in to see you and they're super depressed about things. You know, what, what would be a normal kind of recommendation in, in a session with them? It's not like that. Like the, it's not how therapy works. There are no recommendations, but um, you know, there's, there's listening and there's compassion and there's understanding and there's uh, you're, you're kind of going to, help and understand and evaluate how that person is coping with that challenge. And you're going to support them to cope more effectively. And that could be a range of a lot of different things, right? You can have the choice to disconnect from social media and choose to live your life in other ways, or you can diffuse from the literal content of that, or you can learn problem solving strategies and how to address it and face it. And you can kind of evolve through challenges like that. Like when you feel really bad, it's an opportunity for transformation in a lot of ways. You can go from a point, a stage in your life where you really care what, per, what somebody might say or a comment someone might make into a, a place in your life where it's got zero value anymore and there's much bigger things. Yeah. Do you ever apply some of the, um, like DBT has a lot of like acronym skills. Mm-hmm. Like w- what would you apply in that situation if you're being attacked through social media and you want to engage I think a lot of uh, acceptance-based skills are going to be, when you look at the dialect between acceptance and change, I mean, there's some things that we might have to radically accept in that situation, that mm-hmm. there are some mean people out there and who people just want to hurt you. And I'm a believer in you begin to, uh, you know, what you, what you accept becomes your reality, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're going to engage with people like that in your life, that is part of the reality that you've created and framed. I think we have to be around and expose ourselves to people who are like-minded, who are similar to us. If you want kindness and love in your life, give kindness and love and be around it. Where your attention goes, your energy flows, right? So you're going to have to move away from people like that in your life. You can't win with them. You're not going to convince them that uh, what they said was wrong or that your idea is better. But you can advance yourself in your life where you can have conversations and ideas and talk with people who are respectful and kind. And you allow that to be your life, right? And if they're not kind, just block them? Block them. Don't give it any attention. Move on. Give your attention to people who deserve your attention, right? Listening to a podcast may be therapeutic, but it is not therapy. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional. If you are in a crisis or you think you have an emergency, call your doctor or 911. If you are considering suicide, call 
273-TALK to speak with a skilled trained counselor. If you found this podcast interesting, please share it with a friend, subscribe through your podcast app, and engage with us through our social channels. And if you are concerned about a friend or family member, reach out. The six magic words, I was just thinking about you, may make their day. Thank you for listening.